Over the last few weeks, I've been at a lot of funerals. We had two of our priests pass away over the last month or so. We had Father Hamburger out in Andover, and then Father Kuykendall up at the Catholic Care Center who passed away. But then last week we had uh, funerals for two mothers of priests. Um, so Father Peltzer and Father Maybriar's mothers had passed away. And so all of this time at funerals has got death on my mind, you know. It's something that we all think about occasionally, but probably not quite enough because it's scary, right? Death is scary. It's one of those things that each and every one of us fears, whether we admit it or not. And maybe it's not death itself, but that loneliness that we foresee coming possibly with death. You know, that kind of what if, because we don't really know what's on the other side because we haven't seen it. We just have to take God on faith, right? So around death, at least for me, you know, despite all my struggles, it still kind of gets me concerned. I, I don't really like it. it. I'm not at peace when the topic comes up. But all of these people, all of these funerals I've been at, that has been where they have been. They have all been at peace. I mean, Father Hemberger in particular, I think has just given us a marvelous example of how you can accept that just kind of impending death with peace and with love and just knowing that God has got your back. It's this great example. And so I've been asking myself, why do they no longer fear this? What is the source of that peace? And I think it's because finally in their hearts, they know better than any of, better than I do at least, that what awaits them is God. What awaits them is the communion of saints. They know that death is not a lonely non-existence that this world tries to convince us that it is. They know that in death they will go and meet a vibrant, living, and loving community in heaven. And they know that that's where they are going because they have lived their life as well as they can. And so that gives them peace. And I think that that's something we all desire. And so what can we do to find that peace, especially in those final moments? Obviously, prayer is an important component, but I think St. Paul gives us another important component. He tells us that we must love one another, and the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law, because that's still important. That's how we direct our lives to God. You know, reading these commentators, I've mentioned that I read commentaries on the scriptures, you know, because they know Greek and I don't. That's a lot of the reason, right? But they've noted that right before this passage that we read from Paul, he's talking about paying your debts. He talks about paying your debt to the government, a.k.a. taxes, which nobody wants to do, but Paul tells us to pay your taxes. He says, pay your debts to revenue, so I, I think that means pay your loans off, right? Pay honor and respect to those to whom it is due. Ultimately, though, Paul says, owe nothing to anyone. The only debt we are allowed to have is the debt of love that we owe one another. Because what is love? It's not a feeling, despite what we might think. Love is a choice that we make. 
because true love is to desire the good for another, to desire that good, and the ultimate good for the other is heaven. So if we truly love someone, we desire that they go to heaven, and we're going to do whatever we can to get them there, despite how it might make us feel inside. That is what true love is. You see this beautifully in families, right? Like a husband and a wife. They definitely love each other, but sometimes that love is a little rough because it's like, hey, you can't keep doing that. You have to fix this. Or with parents and their children, you know, raising them to know God. It's not always fun for the parents or for the children, but it's that relationship of love that's critical. Another component of love is living virtue because that's how we know how to get to God and bring others with us. In fact, in our first reading, Ezekiel today tells us that when we see someone not acting virtuously, he says we must warn the wicked and try to turn them from their way because if we don't, then it's on us. We need to at least let them know And Jesus puts some more context to this in the gospel today. He gives us this wonderful pastoral approach. We start by going to this person. It starts with relationship. We have to know them. We have to be able to speak with them. And we say to that person, look, I think you need to maybe look at this aspect of your life. And I'm not saying this out of anger, but because I want you to go to heaven. And if that doesn't work, you take one or two others. And if that doesn't work, you take it to the church. And if even that doesn't work, Jesus says you would treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. And, you know, that bears a little discussion too. Because, yes, that means that we're not treating them as a part of our community anymore. But that's not all. Because how did Jesus treat the Gentiles and the tax collectors? Well, the tax collector who wrote this gospel he invited him into communion with him and to change his life. So just because they're not a part of our community does not mean that we leave them alone. It doesn't mean that we stop trying to bring them. It doesn't mean we stop loving them. But we continually try to bring them back to God. And so what all this gets at is that we as Catholics cannot allow our brothers and sisters in the faith to persist in certain errors. If we know someone who does these things, it's part of our duty, our duty of love to them to let them know about it. For example, abortion, right? I've been talking about this a few weeks. It bears repeating. Catholics cannot support abortion. It's just that simple. But we also cannot support murder, or racism, or adultery, contraception, fornication, lying. We can't support lying. Or this idea that the ends justify the means, that the result is more important than how we get there because what we do matters. All of these are things that we have to bring to the attention of our neighbor so that they can go to God with us. If you look at where the reason for doing this comes from, it actually comes, you can see it very clearly in baptism. So baptisms are a lot of fun, and I really enjoy doing them. And this weekend's great because Father Drew had one last night. I have one today. You know, it's just a great day when you get to do a baptism. 
but right after you baptize the baby, you take chrism and you anoint their head with it. And normally they have a whole lot more hair than I do, and so that's really fun too, you know. But this anointing reminds us that we are baptismal priests and prophets and kings, or if you're a lady, baptismal queens, right? We have these three characters about us as, as a result of our baptism. And what does that mean? It means that we are all called to sanctify creation as a part of our baptismal priesthood. Even someone who is a construction worker can do that. For example, construction workers built this church, and so they took rocks and dirt and mud and all this other stuff, and they turned it into this beautiful thing that glorifies God, right? That kingly or queenly aspect of it is we rule over our own lives so that we live with virtue, so that we live with love. That is how, how we exercise that authority over ourselves. But then it's that other one, that prophetic office that each and every one of us has that causes us to need to do this, to bring our neighbor back to God. That is what the prophet does. The prophet calls others back to God. Last week we heard from Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah, the, one of the great prophets, and he said that I have become an object of mockery and of laughter and of scorn. That is the fate of a prophet, and we should all expect that when we're doing these things. But if we're doing them out of love, then there's nothing else that we can do. We can't neglect any of these offices that we have. Because right now, we're kind of in this midst of a war for the soul of our society. And I'm not talking about the elections or any of that. I'm talking about something much deeper. Because if we look around us, we got to ask the question, does justice and love and mercy and forgiveness reign over all of us, over all of those around us? And I, I think it's pretty clear that it does not. Instead of justice, we see vengeance. Instead of mercy, we see this quest for worldly power and control over others. Instead of Instead of love, we see selfishness, self-seeking. And instead of forgiveness, not just is it this inability for, to forgive, but something really disturbing I have seen is people dredge up history. They go through something 20 years old and they look at this person and they say, look at something you did that was horrible so long ago. We can't do that because we have to forgive. If someone has turned their hearts back to God, God has forgiven them. And we have to do that too. The only thing that can bring people back from this is an authentic and prophetic Catholic and Christian witness. That is the only way to call our society back from this precipice where it is. And that is hard to do. And so we must ask the Lord for courage to do this. When we come to Mass, that is one great way to strengthen ourselves for this, because not only are two or three gathered here, so surely God will listen to us, but we receive food from heaven. We we, we, words are hard. <laughs> we receive Jesus Christ himself into us and allow him to transform us and mold us and shape us so that we can have that courage.
so that he can be in our midst, not just as we pray, but actually and physically. And so today, let us pray to the Lord that as we gather in his name, we might have the courage to be those prophets that our society desperately needs right now. Let us pray to the Lord to help us to bring his love, which is just and merciful, to the Lord, so that one day we, with our neighbors, might rest in that glorious peace of Christ to which we all aspire.